0: and now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon, I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the information, inspiration, motivation, all the Asians you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate as it is on the last Wednesday of most months and I'm live here in the studio waiting for your questions because the thing about question and answer week is we don't really um, plan out any topics if you guys have questions about anything regarding I don't know property acquisition management disposition i can even try and tackle rehab questions for you um tenant screening finance how to get started how to get out whatever you want to know the way that you get them here to the station is either by sending us an email at and the way you do that is go to our website at realliferealestate.com click the button that says ask Vina a question And it'll open up a little form and you ask me a question and it will get emailed to me. The other way to do it, which is quicker and more guaranteed to get your question answered during the program, is to call it in. Now, Mike, I see I see phones set up elsewhere. Are these the correct numbers for this week? Yes. Okay. Uh, so you can call us here in the greater Cincinnati area at 513-772-9658 or from anywhere in the United States of America. At 877-772-9658, 513-772-9658 here in the local area, 877-772-9658, anywhere in the continental United States, and probably Alaska and Hawaii too, I don't know, I've never tried calling an 800 number from one of those places, I, I, I dream to do that someday though. While we are waiting for our first listener questions to come in, hint, hint, uh, a couple of quick announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its last meeting of 2016 and annual holiday party tomorrow evening. It is a combination of a networking event Food, fun, and of course, the all important, nay, crucial best and worst deal of the year contest. Somebody is going to walk away with a crown, well, a plaque, in one of four categories best deal of the year, worst deal of the year, best deal by a new investor or most creative deal of the year. If you're a Cincinnati REA member and you'd like to enter that contest, you must have your entry sent to askvina at gmail.com. That's askvina at gmail.com by noon tomorrow. That's Thursday, December the 1st. If you just like to come and and listen and learn and find out what your fellow investors from all over the United States, all all over the city, excuse me, have been doing, um, Show up at 6 o'clock, show up at 630, whatever. There's going to be a silent auction. Again, food, networking opportunities, more information about that at CincinnatiRia.com. That is Cincinnati cincinnatireia.com. Question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Again, you may call in your questions at seven seven two nine six five eight here in the greater Cincinnati area or uh from any place that you might be looking to call from. Um, You can also email, but the way you do that is you go to our website at realliferealestate.com and click the ask a question button. Uh, I have a question here from, I'm going to say the name is Justice because that's in the the email address he didn't actually sign it uh it says hello Vina. i have a potential probate deal where there was no will the husband went down to court to petition to have the legal rights to sell and or liquidate his late wife's assets together they have nine kids involved Can't find half of them, and the oldest son won't sign anything. Do I actually need all of the heirs to sign off before I can move forward? Oh, you gotta love those complex family situations. And let me let me start, justice, by admonishing all of our listeners to make sure now tonight go download a will off of off of the internet off of one of the legal forms uh, places on the internet that's not the ideal solution but if you don't have a will it's better to have something written down than nothing at all because I see situations like this constantly where the spouses didn't have wills because they just assumed that everybody knew that if mom died, dad was going to get the house, or if dad died, mom was going to get the house. But unfortunately, the fact that you and all of your brothers and sisters know that that's what's supposed to happen does not give it the force of law. If mom here died without a will, in most states, it would be assumed that when probate was opened for her, that the her assets would be divided half to her husband, and half to her her various children. so 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 hubby undoubtedly already owns half of this house. It's probably it was probably in both of their names, right? It was probably mom and dad's name. And so that half of the house is his no question. The other half of the house he owns half of, making him seventy five percent owner of the total house. But the other twenty five percent is owned by these nine children. And if any of those children are deceased, It is owned by their spouses and children. And what this means, Justice, is that you could have, oh my gosh, 12, 15, 20 heirs involved here. Now your question about do you really need them all to sign is unfortunately probably yes. You did not say where you were writing from and probate law is somewhat driven on a state by state basis. But typically in a situation like this, the surviving spouse, or if there's no surviving spouse, the children go to the court and they ask for something along the lines of a relief from administration, which means, yeah, mom didn't have a will, but we, there weren't that many assets and we're all in agreement about who gets what. And so please just, you know, turn turn this over to us in our equal shares and then we'll deal with selling it. And that would work except that you've got an an errant heir here. You have this son who does not want to sign off on anything. So probably uh, they're going to have to go through a full-blown estate, get an administrator appointed by the court. It will then be the administrator's job to sell the house and divide the money and figure out how that's got to happen uh, as opposed to dad's job and it's dad that you're dealing with. So here, here's here's the bottom line. It often turns out to be the case in situations like this, that unless the property has quite a bit of equity in it, it's not worth it to the heirs to go through all of the legal wrangling to get the deed transferred to the right person or people. So it just sort of hangs there in limbo until somebody stops making payments on the mortgage or stops making the tax payments or something like that happens and then it, it it goes through a foreclosure and the estate situation is resolved by the foreclosure. If dad is living there at the at at this time, he can probably continue to live there for the rest of his life and nobody's going to say anything to him cuz he does probably legally own 75% of the house. But, um, unless that unless they're going to get some significant money, it's probably not going to turn out to be worth anybody's while to spend the money to open the estate, determine the heirs, track down the ones you can't find, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a, if this is a 10 or $20,000 house in Akron, doubtful that it's going to go anywhere and you probably ought to move on. If it's a $400,000 house in California with no loan on it, uh, it would be worth following the situation. Now, one thing to check on here that could alleviate your problem and pretty much everything that I just said, if dad and mom were married and if they had a survivorship deed, then all he has to do is go down to the court with her death certificate and the property will be 100% his. Now I'm I'm guessing that you've already gone down that road and you already know that that's not the case or we wouldn't be having this discussion, discussion, one-sided discussion. Uh but um that is that is something to check because there there is a way of transferring a deed on death and sometimes it's called actually transfer on death deed and here in Ohio it's called a survivorship deed. Uh, where it's just an automatic thing. It's written right into the language of the deed. You might want to check that before before getting too far down the path of, of opening an estate. So hope that answered your question, Justice. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. So if you have questions, go to com. Click the um, ask a question button, send it over here via email or give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vena Jones-Cox. And remember, you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate by going to our website at com. We almost always have some offer there for listeners who... Uh, are interested in hearing more from Real Life Real Estate. And uh, right now I believe that offer is a $5 to get started inner circle membership where you can try out our question answering throughout the week, coaching webinars, neat, lots of good stuff with that. And also um, be supporting WMKV while you are at it. And uh, that's, again, at Uh You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter. It's all under Real Life Real Estate. So, uh, you know, if you want to keep track of what's going on in the show, make sure you don't miss programs, uh, want to watch one of the hundreds of podcasts, you can get in touch with, with us any of those ways. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. So any question that you might have about buying, selling, etc., Uh, this would be the day to ask them, um, here, this, this might be one of the greatest questions I've ever gotten on real life, real estate in 20 years. This is, this is a question that, that I am, I am not going to forget. It's from David. Uh, David didn't say where he is from, but I happen to know that if this is the same David, I think it is. He is from the Northwestern part of Ohio. He says, I'm ramping up my rehab business. And one of my weaknesses is not being a very good leader. I do a lot of the work myself, and I'm not very good at delegating. It's hard for me to verbalize and to let go of the reins and let other people do the work. Do you know of any books or education that might be able to conquer this obstacle? That is such a great question, Dave. I have the same problem as do a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, why do we quit our job and go to work for ourselves? Because we're better at everything than everybody else, at least in our own heads and believing that it's sometimes hard for us to not then micromanage every single aspect of every business but i'm guessing that what is underlying your question here is you have realized it has dawned upon you that if you're going to be the one doing all the rehab you can't grow that business it can only it can you, the, the, the Dave's rehab business if Dave is the rehabber can only can only do as many rehabs as Dave can do. Where if Dave can figure out how to feel okay about letting go of some of the work and telling other people to do it and having a process for checking on it to make sure that it's getting done and it's going to, you know, be right, maybe better even than Dave does it himself, then Dave can do as many properties as he can find people who can who can do the work right, right? So that's that's what this question is really all about. And that's why I love it so much because it shows a level of thinking beyond just how, how do I how do I put it? How do I hang kitchen cabinets on a wall? No, how do I hang lots of kitchen cabinets on lots of walls without me doing it all at the same time so that I can make more money? Is the question here? So suggested books, um, certainly the E Myth by Michael Gerber. That's kind of a classic, and it's on it's on my required reading list for all real estate investors. I've got like five books that every time somebody says, "So what books would would you read if you were just getting started in real estate?" I know you're not just getting started, but. I, I, always, I always give them this list, and on that list is always The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, because uh, you are struggling with, you know, the entrepreneurial dilemma here, that you're really, really good at what you do, and now that is handicapping you, because you can't get away from it so that you can grow your business. Uh, a book that I'm reading currently, and I, I, is probably one of the reasons why this is ringing with me, uh, is called Traction. Uh, I'm going to look up the author of that for you, because when I tried to uh, when I tried to find this book on Amazon, it turned out there were two books called Traction and one is actually about something else. It's about, uh, I don't know, marketing or something, um, but it talks about uh m- more ways to uh, to 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 grow a business toward the ten to fifty person level, which you know, that may be that may be more than what you want to do right now, but it recommends a book. So th- this 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 other book, um, is probably better for you. It is called Rocket Fuel. Traction refers to a book called Rocket Fuel, and Rocket Fuel talks about how. Every business needs to have, if it's going to grow, it needs to have a person who's a visionary and a person who's an integrator, not an integrator. I keep saying integrator, but that's not correct. No, that is correct. Integrator. Um, So Rocket Fuel, I would definitely recommend. Uh, The author of Traction is Gino Wickman. And uh, if you're considering ordering these books, Dave, and you're going to do it through Amazon.com, Go to wmkvf.m.org first, and then up in the corner there's this little Amazon symbol, and if you click there, it'll take you right to your Amazon account. But then, whatever books you order, they don't cost you anymore. But WMKV gets a little bit of the money. That's how I ordered these two books is through that that system. Um, you know, there's and there's of course tons of books about management and so on, but but management of a rehab is different than management of a retail store or a, even, even your management, in your business is different than management in my business of wholesaling, because this is something that has got to be uh, watched. You know, you can't, you know, in, in my wholesaling business, the numbers that my employees have, like, you know, how many calls did you get this week? How many postcards did we send out this week? I don't, I don't have to leave the office to go make sure that's done. Uh, a rehab business, I mean, you are going to have to either you you go and physically check or have somebody that you trust to go and physically check on the rehab to make sure it is proceeding as it is supposed to. Because as you know, and this is what you're worried about, sometimes the drywaller will come and close up a wall before the wiring or plumbing is done. And you don't really you don't realize that until you try and turn on the sink, right? So so some so things are going to have to be checked on, but if you could just get away from doing the work, you can do a lot more checking than you can actual drywall hanging, right? So Dave, appreciate your question. Those are my recommended books. If I think of any more, I will certainly uh, shoot those over to you. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We're going to take a quick break. If you have a question, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email. Just go to realliferealestate.com, click the ask a question button, fill out the form and it'll come over here. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And that means if you have something you'd like to know, you can give us a call here in the studio at 877-772-9658. You can also send an email, which seems to be the popular thing today. Getting lots of emails, not so many phone calls today. Um, The way to do that is to um, go to our website at realliferealestate.com, uh, check, check out the, uh, question and answer box and put your name in there and your, where you're from and what your question is. And it'll come over here via email. Uh, I have a question for all of you. It is December. That is the time of year when I traditionally sit down with my my leadership team and talk about how we are going to program real-life real estate for the following year. I'd love to know what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see less of, if you have a particular topic that you haven't heard here and don't see in the podcasts, and you'd just love to love to hear an hour-long interview about that. If you have a, an investor that you've met who's super successful at something in your local area that you think would be a good candidate to be on Real Life Real Estate Investing, I would love to hear about it. And just the way the way to tell me about it is go to realliferealestate.com and uh, fill in the question and answer box and give me whatever contact information you have if if there's a particular speaker you'd like to hear uh, or, you know, topic, whatever. Uh, let me know because we're going to try and put together the schedule for the next four or five months coming up here real shortly. And I want to make sure that you, the listeners are hearing what you want to hear because I tend to bring on people that I want to hear, but that does not necessarily mean that you're getting everything that you would like to get out of real life, real estate investing. A question here via email on Question and Answer Week. This one is from Tom who says, What are the steps that you recommend when building or optimizing a seller website, that is to say, buying from sellers for wholesaling? Well, let me start by saying I'm not sure whether it matters to the answer whether or not your goal is to wholesale the property. Um, I don't know that I would I would do a seller website any differently if I thought I was going to wholesale every deal, or if I thought I was going to retail every deal, or rent every deal. Because I mean, let's face it you you, you don't necessarily know what you're going to do with a deal before you have seen the details of the deal. So I I don't know I don't know that there's an answer to that for wholesaling, but in terms of Uh, what would I do if I had to start all over and build and optimize a seller website for um, buying? So I'm buying. It's it's sellers that I'm trying to drive there. Uh, Number one thing is uh, don't bother to do that until you have your other marketing in place. You need to be doing some sort of Rifle marketing, like you need to have some list that you're buying or getting or putting together uh, of motivated sellers that you can mail to. You also should probably have at least one shotgun method going. Um, Mine is the sign on the back of my car that says that I buy houses. Because while you will get leads from your website, it is a lot harder to get people's attention on the Internet than it is in their mailbox or if your car is parked in front of theirs or if they see a billboard or something like that. And I say that partly because online you are up against a bunch of very high dollar heavy hitter uh lead aggregators. I mean, there's these there's these companies. I won't I won't mention any of them, but if I did, you would know who I was talking about, who their their whole their whole business model is they get sellers to come online and sit and talk about properties you know i have this this property in this area and it needs this work and I'll sell it for this much money and Then they sell those leads and because they do that, they can spend a lot of money on optimizing the site, doing search engine optimization doing uh pay per click and adWords and all of that sort of thing. Because they they charge quite a bit for these leads. Like every lead can be ten twenty dollars. And if you t- take any city in the United States, I don't care where it is, and type in who buys houses in Cincinnati, who uh, I want to sell my house in Cincinnati, any 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 obvious combination of words that you would come up with, and you will find that all, if everything. On the first website, on the first page of Google, and a lot of the second page is taken up by the same seven or eight companies. It doesn't matter where you are in the country; it's the same seven or eight country companies that are going to come up. So it's hard to compete with that when they are when they are buying clicks and when they are, uh, you know, they have people whose entire full-time job it is to keep them up there in the top of the search results because they have a a. Very big profit motive behind staying up there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I'm just saying it's hard for Tom to have his little website show up anywhere in the first two pages of Google without having humongous investment in that and uh you all know that almost nobody gets past the first two pages. I mean the stats are out there like seventy percent of people don't get past the first page, so there's there's you you will get leads. There are some things you can do with long tail keywords and things like that 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 can get you up toward the top in in search results for those long tail keywords. You certainly will make a deal from your website now and again, but I just don't think it's the be all and end all. Okay, so I'd like to see you do some uh, have some other things in place first. Now, a couple of great reasons to have a website. Number one. People don't believe you're real anymore if you don't have a site. They will actually cyberstalk you. <laughs> they will they will get your mail and they will say, hmm, this sounds like a scam. I'm not sure who this guy is. I'm going to look up his company on the web. And if they don't find you, they don't believe that you're at all for real. So that's a really good reason to, to have a website. Also, um, as I said, you will get some leads. So if I were... If I were trying to develop a website from scratch number one I would hire it done I would not try and do it myself number two I would go around and and look at every website I could find that did the same thing that I was trying to do for the functionality what questions are being asked how easy is to fill it in to fill in the questions Um, what, which ones do I like the looks of? Which ones do I think are easy to read, flow well? What marketing language do I like? And frankly, I would spend two days writing down everything I liked. And then I would go to a programmer and I would say, this is what I want. Make me this and make it work this way. And then I would, then I would sit back and write a check rather than try and mess with that all myself. So, um, again, don't make it the first thing you do. Hire someone else to do it. Figure out what you like, because if you don't, you're going to get what they like. Uh, Make sure that it's, I mean, the most important thing is that you don't have a bunch of sellers who are dropping out midstream because you've asked them 1,000 questions about their property that they don't want to answer. Um, You know, keep it short, sweet, find stuff you like and use that. Uh, Thank you for your question, tom you're listening to real life real estate investing it's question and answer week you can call in your questions at 877-772-9658 or you can um send an email go to ask uh, go to uh sorry am trying to read a question and talk at the same time which doesn't work so well uh RealLifeRealEstate.com, click the question answer button. Um, Email from JC in Las Vegas. Haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, What is the minimum information I need to get up front from a seller prospect to pre-screen an apartment building just to see if it's worth further investigation? That's a very interesting question because um, obviously apartment buildings are evaluated largely based on their... Income and expenses, and income and expense statements are something that a seller who is truly prepared to sell ought to have already. Um, so, so, the interview the interview is different. You know, you're not going to sit there because like like a like an APOD an annual property operating data form has dozens of lines. Right. There's um, uh, what's the gross rent? Is there any other income from washers, dryers, garages, anything like that? Uh, vending machines. Um, what is the vacancy rate? Uh, what uh, what is the real estate taxes, the insurance, the utilities, the management, the maintenance, the turnover, the um, lawn care that. Right. So it's, it's a very extensive kind of. Form. And if, if what you're used to doing is interviewing sellers of single family homes that are valued based on what they are, square footage, rooms, bedrooms, neighborhood, et cetera, you might be tempted to sit in and, and ask a zillion questions of an apartment owner who's probably going to be really impatient because he's going to say, I already have that. Let me email it to you. So the the question was, what's the minimum I need to get in order to decide whether to take the next step of doing this this complex evaluation. And, and, and that is a really good question because every time I try and evaluate an apartment building as a purchase, it literally, if I'm, if I'm really going to dig in, it's a solid three to four hours of research and confirming numbers and calling service providers to see if I can get the same deal that the owner's getting and checking public records and all of this sort of thing what i want to know before i get into all of that is what mr seller is your story why are you selling how soon do you need to sell is this a situation where your asking price is absolutely firm and there's no negotiation or is it something we can talk about are you willing to carry any financing i want to know the price i want to know the what what he's what his opinion Uh, is of the net operating income. I want to know the number of units and I want to know the story. If the story I get is, well, I was just flipping through the internet. I started to say the yellow pages and then uh, 1997 called and said it wanted its term back. And Uh, I saw that you said you buy apartments. And so I thought I'd call and get a bid on my apartment building. I'm not going to do four hours worth of work and then go over and look at five units. I'm not doing that because that's not a motivated seller. If a seller calls and says, well, yes, I do have a a building for sale. And it is four units that uh, gross a total of uh, $3,000 a month. And I want $1 million for it. And I'm not willing to be flexible on that. I'm not going to pursue it any further. I mean, it's just it's it it, it it's sort of some of the same basic information that you would need with a single-family seller. It's just that conceptually, because apartments are valued based on their income and expenses, you're you're looking more at that than you are at things like other you know alternate uh, sales of other properties and things like that. So. Thank you for your question, JC. We're going to take a quick break after which we will come back and answer your questions at 877-772-9658 or via email. Just go to realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, and we've just had a whole spate of questions come in, so i uh, going to knock these down as quickly as we can. If you have a question that you'd like to try and get in before the end of the show, uh, email it. Go to realliferealestate.com and click the ask a question button. Um, I have one here from George, who is from Prince George's County, Maryland. I love the names of those counties up there. It's, you know, and all the cities. It's very cool names up there. Anyway, he says, I come across many vacant properties as a real estate agent. I learned some are probate properties, some are absentee owners, so I'm able to look that up in the tax records. However, at least 50% of the time, I am am unable to find the owners. How can I locate great skip tracers, or should I look for other avenues to get to the owners? I have used, and he names a couple of um, online skip tracers, and have considered a... uh, course that one pays for. But deep down inside, I'm just not sure about the info. How would you proceed? Uh, you are correct to not be all that trusting of that information, George, because those online, uh, quote, skip tracers, where you are basically, you usually pay something like, I don't know, 39 a month for 59 a month, or you can pay $15 per trace um don't really have any information that's not already public record so they they're, they're going to be pulling from the same sources you are the the county tax rolls the um county criminal records that might be online um just googling the person's name facebook pages right <laughs> things like that so that information you can get on your own if you want truly deep dive type of like, guaranteed going to get the answer um, and a correct answer, you're going to have to go through a process of qualifying for one of the uh, credit reporting companies skip tracing systems. So, you know, there's, there's like three big credit reporting companies. And, those folks have data on you that will scare the heck out of you. The first thing people always do when they, when they get these systems is they, they run themselves through it. And you're gonna find out that they still know who your best friend in third grade was and where he lives now. I mean, they, they know everything about you, every car you've ever owned, every address you've ever lived at. That kind of information, they don't just like let you sign up online and subscribe to it. You have to go through a vetting process where they they ask you what you want the information for. It can't be for marketing purposes. They are going to come look at your location to make sure that you have some security stuff in place. Uh, locks on the doors um, uh, of, of the office where you will be working paper shredders, uh, um, uh, online security stuff because along with the information that you were actually looking for here, which is where does this person really live, you're going to get information that could be potentially used for bad stuff. So they make you, They make, somebody comes out and visits and not everybody passes this, this test. So um, if you will change your focus a little bit and say... Let me go check out the various credit reporting services and what sorts of things they have in regards to this. You are going to, I think, find that uh, this gets you the answer that you want. I found it to be 98% accurate. Like 98% of the time, if I can put in the name of a person and, and the address of the property, it can come up with a good address for that person. Uh, because the problem you're running across for listeners who are like, what, what is this problem? Why doesn't he just look it up in the tax rolls? He is looking it up in the tax rolls. The problem is the person used to live in that house and they moved and they did not notify the county whatever, treasurer, auditor, recorder, whatever, that they moved. And so the tax bills are still being mailed to an address at which they no longer live. So his question is, how do I find out where they do live? And your answer is, the inexpensive way to do it is, uh, and it, it's still, it's not, it's not free, don't get me wrong, uh, but it's to do what I just said and check the credit reporting services and get signed up with one of their um, kind of, kind of people checking uh, things. Now, there are people who will do skip traces for you on kind of a one-off basis, uh, any attorney, can get any information they want on anybody uh, through LexisNexis, which is uh, you know primarily marketed to attorneys, but also sometimes marketed to real estate agents. It's just it's going to cost you quite a bit of money to do that. And let's let's pull back here and think of think about what um, what you're actually getting here, and what you're getting is an address of a prospect so you probably don't want to pay a whole bunch of money to get an address of a prospect who you don't even know is going to want to sell to you uh you're going to want to pay 50 cents or a buck a piece right so uh that's the way that you're gonna you're gonna do it but great great question and good luck in your future endeavors there in regards to tracking down some of these people because remember the harder the person is to track down the less likely it is that someone else has tracked them down. All right, I got one more question in the queue here, which is a very complex question about um, IRAs and taxes. It says, how should I evaluate and deal with the trade-offs between buying a property on seller financing that is getting title in my IRA and dealing with unrelated business income tax versus... Lease optioning and potentially avoiding unrelated business income tax. And, of course, this has to be the last question I get in the show, right? We could have started the show with this and still been talking about it, particularly if we had John Hire or, you know, somebody from Equity Trust here or something like that. The question, for those of you who are not, who are wondering why in the world it was even asked, has to do with um, the fact that, yes, you're allowed to buy real estate in your IRA, Yes, you are allowed to finance real estate in your IRA. But if you do finance a piece of real estate, the um, the IRS says, okay, so now you are doing a transaction that should be taxable in a non-taxed entity. So what we're going to do, says the IRS is we're going to charge you tax on the part of the income from that property that is attributable to the financing. So let's make up some numbers. You got a $100,000 house. You borrow 50, your IRA borrows $50,000 to buy it. The property then nets $500 a month. Well, you're going to pay taxes on half of that money because half of that money is attributable to the fact that you borrowed money against it now the 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 taxes shrink as time goes by because you pay the loan off right the le- the less loan you have as a percentage of the value of the property, the less you are going to uh, have to pay in taxes now the problem of course is the unrelated business income tax is a very high tax it's a it's a it's it's a lot of tax. So people try and avoid ubit, so they end up not borrowing money in their IRA, which is often mathematically a mistake. Like mathematically, you could prove that even with paying the ubit, but getting some income tax free and getting the growth tax free and getting to sell it tax free when you sell it, um, you come out ahead of having done it yourself. The the trick that this this uh, questioner is um, is referring to is that if you lease option the property instead of buying it, it's not financed. You're renting it. And UBIT does not apply when you are renting it. So obviously, instead of buying the house, you should lease option it, right? Well, that's the trade-off. The trade-off is, with a lease option, you have less control over the property. You have a higher chance that by the time your IRA is ready to purchase it outright, there's a title problem that was not there before that was caused by the seller of the property. There's there's a, a greater chance that the seller could maybe not pay his income taxes and get a lien attached that you weren't expecting, and now you have to figure out how to deal with that lien. So, it's kind of a control issue versus a tax slash profit issue. And unfortunately, it is one where you are going to have to make that decision yourself on a case by case basis. If you have an unstable seller, don't do a lease option with them, right? If they're going to declare bankruptcy or they're going to, you know, not pay bills or something, don't do a lease option with them. If you have a super stable seller, you might decide to do that. It also depends on the, numbers of, the number of the deals. It's a, a very good question and one that we might get to address with John Heyer after the first of the year. But um, it's unfortunately one that you got. of, there's not, there's not like a right or wrong answer to that question. So do we do appreciate the question? Um, sorry, I couldn't give you like a, like an absolutely thorough answer. Remember we're doing programming planning for, 2017. So if you have any requests, send them on over through the Real Life Real Estate website so that I can uh, get some ideas about what you guys want to hear coming up in 2017. Uh, We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.